that everything you've ever needed has always been inside of you. We're each perfect in our own expression. And then we go to school and we start to learn. And all this programming and conditioning and these standards and these ideas and these beliefs get piled onto us and we internalize that. And we end up functioning as adults in so many ways that we've agreed to, but that aren't actually rooted in the truth of who we are. That's the voice of Elizabeth D'Alto. After a successful stint with Cutco Vector, Elizabeth worked in the fitness industry, where many of the goals were measured by one's personal appearance. But Elizabeth had a transformational experience, which led her to create the popular Wild Soul Movement and to found the Institute for Embodied Living, whose mission is to help all women to love, trust, and accept themselves fully. Elizabeth encourages all of us to learn who we are and how we're built, and to balance out our satisfaction from outer achievements with the inner pleasure of just being who we are. What follows here is a candid, raw, and deeply personal conversation, which we hope can offer you insights into how you view yourself. I'm proud to bring to you all today the experiences and wisdom of Elizabeth D'Alto. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm very excited for my guest today. We've got something different for you. We have Elizabeth D'Alto as our guest today. Elizabeth was a manager in Vector and Cutco. She worked with the company for about five or six years, around 2002 to around 2007. And since that time, Elizabeth has done some really remarkable things. And she is a professional speaker right now. She is a podcast host. Her podcast currently called Truth Telling has had over 3 million downloads. And most notably, Elizabeth is the creator of the Wild Soul Movement and the founder of the Institute for Embodied Living. And her mission is to help all women to love, trust, and accept themselves fully. You are going to hear some really cool ideas today. Elizabeth D'Alto, thanks so much for being a part of the podcast. I'm so excited. Yeah, this is going to be really great. And I'm very happy to have you here. We want to mention up front that today's episode is really geared towards women. That is what Elizabeth does in her life and career. That's who she influences and impacts pro in you know ways that are really profound. And if you're a man 
listening to the podcast today, which I know there'll be a lot of you out there who are, I think it's important to think about a couple questions. One would be, you know, how could I adapt some of the principles that come out of this conversation in my own life? And second would be, you know, how can I better understand the women around me by developing a knowledge of some of the principles and ideas and things that we talk about? Is that fair to present that that way, Elizabeth? Yeah. I mean, like you said, I work specifically with women with anyone who identifies as a woman, but the principles work. I have plenty of men. If I have published a book in 2015, there's reviews on Amazon from the men that are like, uh, dudes, you should read this too. <laughs> <laughs> Some of my guy friends are like, hi, uh, this works for me as well. And I'm like, great, take it. Awesome. Awesome. So that's a great starting point for us. And let's talk a little bit about your time at Cutco before we get into a lot of the other stuff today. So tell us a little bit about uh, how you got started with the company. You know, I was thinking about this and it was funny because I actually, I was a no-show to an interview in 2001. <laughs> and then in 2002, I went, I showed up for my interview. Why didn't you go in 2001? Same reason a lot of people don't go. I thought it sounded shady. <laughs> <laughs> and like things have probably, I mean, I know transparency when I was still with the company, transparency was literally a movement. It was a thing. Yeah. Yes, but back then it was still like, you really didn't know what you were showing up for. And if you ask questions, they were highly deflected by the receptionist. So I was like, ah, I don't know about this. I'm not going. Uh, but then in 2002, I was like, ah, whatever. Because uh, I was tired of doing like the same old summer jobs that I had done. I had worked either in restaurants or retail all throughout high school. And uh, it was my the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college. I was like, let me see what this is. Because also, obviously, the pay appeared to be better. Right. But I was like, the least I could do is I can go to the interview. And then I went and it was great. I was like, what? It, like, I could do this, you know, because I could talk to anyone. Uh, and I had my 10K fast start. And it was funny too, because there was someone in my training group, uh, Rebecca Goldstein, and she also 10K fast start. And then in my office, they were just brilliant. They just pitted us against each other all summer. And at the end of the summer, what made it was I ended up going on a vacation for 12 days that I, I almost canceled. I almost didn't go. <laughs> my high school boyfriend's family's vacation. And I was like, if I go on this vacation, I'm going to lose to Rebecca, like, you know, and that's exactly what happened. <laughs> she ended up being, I was number 10 scholarship winner that summer. She was number six. Wow. She ended up beating me. I sold like, I, I literally remember the stand <laughs> How many, 18 years ago. I sold $48,252 was my count for the summer. And I think hers was like 60 or wow. 56, something like that. Wow. And I was like, those 12 days. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, Elizabeth, 48,252 in summer sales first summer with Cutco way back in the day. That's pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, appointments. <laughs> translate that to today's prices, and it's quite a bit more as well, too. So that's uh, I bet. How much is a homemaker awesome. right now? Like 1300 bucks. Shut up. It was 801 when I was a rep. Yeah, something like that, I recall. Exactly. Yeah, or 805, maybe. Yeah. 805, I remember. Yeah. That's funny. That is. That is. Well, what were some of your most transformational experiences uh, during your time with the company? The concept of recognition actually was huge. I'd always been comfortable in front of groups of people. I played sports in high school. And I remember that being like a high school basketball banquet or something when I was a senior and like giving an impromptu speech and like realizing how comfortable I was and people coming up to me after it and being like, that was amazing. And I think it's, it was in the interview at the time, like you say, like public speaking or maybe in training is like the number one fear, like more than death. And I was like, no, I, I love it. But, but the recognition piece, like literally every week having an incentive 
to hustle other than just that you would make money because money is cool, but you know, pretty much always in my life, that's never been my top motivator for anything. Like money only gets you so much and so far. Mm -hmm. So just that the recognition for the effort, that was really transformational for me. Not only to realize how important that is for me in my own life to have that kind of like positive feedback loop, but then like, as I've gone on and done other things to create that for other people. Right. And, and not even just tied to performance, but like anything, just like acknowledgement of the effort that people put in and show up and, you know, life is hard. Indeed. Being an adult is no joke. <laughs> so. Right, right. You know, one of the things that is most key to our ability to influence others simply comes down to how we make people feel. And if we are somebody who finds good a lot more often than not and tries to make people feel recognized, appreciated, they feel good in our presence, then they're more open to what we have to say, yeah. right? And it's one of those things I have to constantly remind myself of in my own life because I think it's so easy just to take things for granted and we all probably fall into that trap from time to time. But just being somebody who's a good finder, who's an acknowledger, you know, who's an expert recognizer, yeah. that's all, it's all very important in being able to influence people. And also I love the aspect of, I still to this day love telling people about my district office. I ran the Washington DC district when I went DM. And my team name was the DC regulators. And I love telling people about my cheer. I also just loved that there was like fun built in, like fun and celebration and personal expression, right? Because mm -hmm. when I went to college in Baltimore and my um, division manager and office manager was Jeff Gamboa and Jeff had this super fun cheer. And then there was a part two where everyone got to dance. That was very much in line with my personality as well. So getting to create something like that for my own team and be able to build fun into work was also something that at a young age really helped pave the way and like show me something that I would value a lot in work. And like there are a lot of things that I, I wouldn't do over the course of my career since because it wasn't fun. Right. And I won't, I will not just, you know, you spend a lot of time at work. So to me, to have it be something that you enjoy really matters. I'm not going to spend most of my life doing something I really don't want to be doing. Yeah. Exactly. I can remember my original manager in my training class. He said there's four kinds of jobs and one is where you hate the job and hate the pay. And that was like when I worked for my dad every summer <laughs> when I was a, you know, a, a young kid and he was a bricklayer and I was having to help him, you know, mm. hauling around stuff on the, on the work sites and cleaning up. And he paid me like a dollar an hour. And then there's jobs where you like the job and hate the pay. And I had one of those, at, you know, at a movie theater. And then there's jobs where you hate the job, but you like the pay. And a lot of people are stuck in those yes. because they're yes. earning something substantial. Yes. And it's so important to find one where you like what you do and you, you know, can earn what you want to earn and you have that best of both worlds. And so you know, it's cool that uh, Vector provided us the chance to be able to have that early on. Yeah, super ideal. And obviously, like, not everyone has access to that and won't have it. So it's a really immense blessing and amazing thing when you can. Yeah, exactly. You know, I saw Elizabeth, you uh, sharing something about why you succeeded in Cutco and Vector. And it was along the lines of the idea that your trust in yourself became greater than your fears, your, you know, fear of failure or whatever. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah. So this is actually one of the, I talk about this, I get interviewed a lot and especially on a lot of like entrepreneurial kind of podcasts. And I say this all the time. I'm like, my Cutco training was so valuable because I really just learned that you have to often get through a lot of no's to get to the yes. 
mm-hmm. and not just the yes, but like the aligned yes, like the yes that was really good for you, right? You know? Because you get a lot of yes. If you just my summer, my rep summer, I just called my entire high school directory. Mm-hmm. When I ran out of numbers in that, I called my brother's entire middle school directory, and you know, it was just like getting referrals along the way. And I was just like, I just literally, to me, it was just like a numbers game. If I just make more phone calls, I'll get more appointments. If I just do more appointments, I'll make more sales. And so I really was just a person that just followed the freaking program. Right. <laughs> just funny. They're like, just follow the program. I'm like, okay, got it. I could do that. Like, I have all this energy. Great. And this is fun for me. So why not? And so part of the trust came from having a path to follow. Mm-hmm. And just, and you know, my grandpa, this is just a lifelong lesson from my grandpa, who would always say they can knock you down, but they can't keep you down. And so right. that was pretty much a lot of my trust came from that. Like there's nothing that can happen that I can't bounce back from. Right. And certainly if we look at the spectrum of things that can happen to people in terms of like trauma and tragedy in their lives, someone saying no to you that they don't want to buy something you're selling or they don't want to see your demonstration or they don't want to show up for training is like pretty low on the scale of magnitude of hardships, you know? It's very low on the scale, I believe, but a lot of people take it personally. That's it. Right? They take small bits of rejection as a personal attack mm-hmm. on their own, you know, soul versus it just being this other person, you know, in basically reflecting their own personal values and their own, you know, personal thoughts and wishes, right? Yeah. And that's where a big piece of the trust comes in is just like, cool, that wasn't for me. If they said no, it wasn't for me. Yeah. Even if you really want something, if it's a no, like I really believe my friend Kate Northrup said this one time, I don't know where she got it from, but it's something along the lines of what is for you cannot pass by you. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I That's wasn't thinking that philosophically when I was a rep or when I was a DM, but I did trust that whatever was happening, I was going to make something out of it. I was either going to learn. That's the other thing. I don't really believe in failure. I just kind of believe, cool, you'll get the lesson, you'll get the learning. And that's that's how I'm built. So for me, I was like, right, there's either a lesson or just like, keep it moving. Right. Right. That's an awesome mentality that you developed. Is that something that you feel like you developed while you're at Cutco or was it already, the seeds were already there before you got to Cutco? The seeds were there, but Cutco in a lot of ways gave me all these different applications of it. And especially I'll tell you the big one, and I would file this under the question you asked earlier around transformational experiences. So not a positive transformational experience was uh, the summer of 2000, 2003. Yeah. I was a branch manager the summer of 2003. I had trained so hard and I don't mind telling you, I was certainly the best candidate in my class. I met like every training I showed up, like I was the best and they did not pick me because my manager wanted me to be an assistant in the office that summer. Mm. And that was like so eye-opening to me that you can't just outwork people to get what you want. Hard work is not just the answer, mm-hmm. right? Because I did. I outworked everyone and I showed up and I literally did better than everyone in the training and I was not selected. And that was, that was crushing for me at the time. So it was a retrospective lesson that like, no, it's not just about work harder. Right. There's always going to be factors out of your control. So then how do you show up? What do you do? That was a massive rejection. Yeah. That was harder to bounce back from because I literally, there was nothing I wanted more. 
I wanted to be a branch manager so badly. Yeah. And then to show up and do a good job as an assistant and be in the office, even though with all this resentment that I had, but still, you know, do a good job that summer. I sold, I was an assistant manager, but then I also sold my ass off as a rep. So I qualified for the, whatever the trip was because I sold over $25,000 that summer. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, well, if this is what, this is the hand I'm being dealt, it's not what I wanted, but I'm still going to rock this too. Right. So you made the most of it. You won your regional trip and you had a good experience and then you branched the following summer, right? Yeah. 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 So I think there's an insight in there that for a lot of young people is that uh, we don't always get what we want, right? Like I think that the kids start realizing that at a very young age. Like I, I, my kids are six years old and three years old and they think that just because they want something that that's how it should be. And it's not, not always that, that way. Nope. It's not always that way. Right. And, and, I, and I do think that we have to learn that as we go along that we're, we are parts of a bigger system and sometimes somebody else might have a little different plan for us. And there are some things that are out of our control, but being able to, uh, you know, choose the best meaning for what happens and make the most out of it, that that is what really makes sense. And it, it's clear that you did that, which, uh, which is great. Yeah. So tell us about after Cutco, you got into the fitness industry. What were you doing at that point? I was literally working out. I was living in Hoboken, New Jersey at the time. And I was working out one day and the manager of the gym came up to me and was like, you ever thought about being a trainer? And I'm like, actually, I would love to. How does it work? You know, because I've been taking classes and working out and all these things for years and years. So he told me and I started just, I became an apprentice trainer, like picking up the weights, studying for the certification, getting paid $8 an hour while I was still at that sales job. And then, you know, I got certified. I quit. I became a trainer. I got certified. I was, by the time I was done, I was teaching all the classes, total body conditioning. I was creating my own classes, spinning classes, Zumba classes. Did you use your Cutco skills uh, in that job? Well, of course, because you're getting clients, right? right? You're all the things. You're handling objections before they come up. You're, you know, encouraging, motivating people. You're basically having PCs with your clients every week. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and then also just teaching classes. Again, being in the room, being up in the front of the room in front of people teaching, like how many training seminars did I run? How many interviews did I run? that standing in front of a group fitness class and basically guiding the room was so easy and so natural to me. Right. Awesome. Because um, again, I had done it you know, so many times in my Cutco experience. So yeah, that was super helpful. But then I had started like writing for blogs and things and like doing things online in 2009. And I, I just, I met some people that were doing trainings to learn how to run like an online business. And so I did a mastermind with a woman named Marie Forleo in 2011. And then I started, I was still a personal trainer at the time, but I was starting um, to create online programs. And I had moved, I thought I needed to do, listen, I took like a 60% pay cut to become a personal trainer from sales. That was very humbling. (laughs) But I was like, all right, I got to figure out how I'm going to make more money. And so I decided to go to grad school. I did a semester of grad school at GW for exercise science. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, I had told my clients from New Jersey, I was like, Hey, I can still like make your workouts. You could just do them on your own and you could pay me this much. So I would do like Skype sessions with my clients. Huh. And, and that's when, I, so, so it's funny because all this stuff that like, you know, we're in the age of COVID and people are doing all this stuff on zoom. Now I've literally been doing this since 2010. Oh, like, wow. 
just getting on to like figuring out how can we get people to do things without having to be with them in person. Right. So I did that for a minute. And then I created my first like fitness program. It was called tighter in 10 days, which is, you know, I don't prescribe anymore to like fat phobia and like so many of these things in like fitness culture that like inadvertently body shames people and stuff like that. Right. But at the time, <laughs> that's still what I was up to. Yep. And so all these sales and marketing and copywriting things that just, again, came easily to me because I had frameworks like the Cutco seven steps to a sale. Like I knew how to build rapport. I knew how to get people excited for the next thing. Right. Yes. Like, yes. Come to the key staff meeting or get on this, come into management training. So like these things that I had practiced for all these years, like totally translated into getting people excited about my next fitness program or my next class, or, you know, here's the other thing you could do if you want. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Really cool to hear how you your skills as a promoter from your district manager days totally carried over to you know your role there working in the fitness industry. So ultimately, your experience in the fitness industry led you in this direction where you wound up creating the Wild Soul movement. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about what led you to start the Wild Soul movement and, and what it's all about. Yeah. You know, this actually connects back to some experiences I had as a district manager as well. I had a couple of experiences of my reps coming into my office and just like pouring their hearts out to me mm -hmm. about like what was going on at home and challenging things. This was actually one of the things that made it really hard. And ultimately, it was just very emotional for me. Yeah. Right? I didn't realize, I didn't know at the time, and I didn't have the tools to deal with being as sensitive of a person and as mm -hmm. empathic as I am. So same thing happened when I was a personal trainer. I would have clients in some cases who were like decades older than me coming to their training sessions and we do like their workouts and stuff, but they'd be like sharing about what's going on in their life and even asking me for advice. And I'd be like, why is this woman who's a 55 year old executive at Macy's asking 26 year old me for any kind of advice, you know? But there is like this, there's something about my energy. There's something about people feel comfortable around me. They feel like they could be themselves. So I started paying attention to that. The turning point moment was my final, after I realized grad school was not for me, I um, moved back to New York and I was working in a boutique training studio in the West Village. And the client was very like, you know, she, she fashion industry people, some celebrities, high profile kind of folks. And um, I had created a class, a lower body conditioning class called Aspire, A-S asterisk P-I-R-E. And MarieClaire.com wanted us to make a video of some of the, you know, a little snippet of my class. And so the guy who owned the studio hired, you know, film, hair, makeup, all the stuff to come make this video for MarieClaire.com. And at the filming of it, they put, if people are listening, I know, so you can't see me. I have a lot of freckles. I'm like Punky Brewster. I have very curly hair. They put so much makeup on my face. You couldn't see my freckles. They straightened my hair. I literally, so much lip gloss. Like I would never work out with my hair down. I would never work out with all this lip gloss on. And then at the time, I really, by societal standards, I was in the best shape of my life. I had my own visible abs, like, and they still painted contour lines on my stomach. And it was just that day I realized I'm pretty sure I'm part of a problem mm. that I don't want to be part of. This like, perfectionism, you know, ideal image, especially the pressure that gets put on women for like what's good and what's bad. And it really upset me. And so I started to study more psychology, archetypes, expressions of femininity and subtle energy, energy work and healing, more healing oriented things. 
And I also started to branch out in my movements. I had started salsa dancing when I was teaching Zumba classes and I had always been an athlete growing up. So getting into this more feminine expression through my body kind of opened me up to how do I integrate these things? Mm-hmm. And so Wild Soul Movement was born out of my desire to want to like synthesize all of these things that I had become passionate about to also show women that like there's so many amazing things about their bodies and about who they are uh, that are much more important than how they look. Right. Even though our culture largely values women on their appearance. And that, that becomes like this hierarchy thing. And I was like, nah, that's bullshit. We're not doing that anymore. And so that, like, that's where Wild Soul Movement was born out of. Also, that I love movement. And I'm like, I want to keep moving my body, but I don't just want to do it because I'm trying to be hot. Right. Wow. I really love how this movement was born out of a personal experience that you had. I've got a friend who is a neighbor on my street, actually, who is one of the most prominent venture capitalists in Silicon Valley. And we were talking one time about lessons that he could share. And he talked about how a lot of the companies that they want to invest in, the founders that they want to invest in, they hatch an idea that comes from their own personal experience. And so they have a deep conviction in their product, a deep conviction in what they're doing. And you could tell that you know, you going through that experience, it created this feeling inside you that, you know, that's not what we want society to be like. That's not what we want, how we want women to be represented. Like we, we need to make a change. We need something new and different. And, um, and so you have that deep conviction and that's, I'm sure is a big reason why you've had so much tremendous success, you know, over the last few years is because you, you truly in your soul believe in everything that you're doing and in what you're doing for people. That's uh, that's very powerful. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Cause a lot of it is like, we don't know what we don't know. If we're fed messages everywhere, TV, media, movies, whatever, like even like we see it, it's just like, it's, it's like a secondhand smoke. It's in like the air we're ingesting, like mm-hmm. what's socially acceptable or preferable for women, you know? And I don't know if anyone listening or if you are familiar with the work of Brene Brown, but Brene Brown, of course, her work is all about, you know, courage, shame, vulnerability. And she says the biggest source of shame for women is our bodies. And then for men, it's around like strength and weakness, hmm. right? So thinking they can like boys don't cry, stuff like that. Right. And so, yeah, it was, I'd have always been kind of a rebellious person. So it really made me want to be like, oh, cool. Here's the whole thing to disrupt and dismantle. I'll just do that now. <laughs> and I'm not the right. only one. I've certainly am not, you know, I've done this in my own way, but there's plenty of people who were doing this before me and plenty of people out there doing similar things. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's, let's talk about some of the principles that you feel like are important for others to internalize. Yeah. So the core, like one of the biggest things ever since day one, when I started Wild Soul Movement was the concept that everything you've ever needed has always been inside of you. Mm -hmm. And people will sometimes ask me, why do you say it like that? Why do you say everything you've ever needed has always been inside of you instead of just everything you need is inside of you? And it's because I really want to emphasize for people that it's always been that way. Mm -hmm. It's always been that way. Like we literally come in, we're each perfect in our own expression. And then we go to school and we have to compete and we have to get grades and we have to do this and we have to follow that rule and we start to learn and all this programming and conditioning and these standards and these ideas and these beliefs get piled onto us and we internalize that and we end up functioning as adults in so many ways that we've agreed to 
but that aren't actually rooted in the truth of who we are. Mm -hmm. And I remember like, so the, the personal development path vector got me started on that too. I remember reading like the power of positive thinking and how to win friends and influence people. And, you know, Matthew Kelly, whatever, you know, his original book was and hearing things like, if you're not growing, you're dying. And it's like, yes. And it's not just mindset. It's not just learn more, do better. It's also, you have to peel back and question everything that you've been told to go, is this actually true for me? Mm -hmm. Or have I just did a teacher or a parent or a religion or something tell me it was? And I just went along with it because I was too, I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. Right. So to kind of deconstruct and reconstruct what is true for you, what's actually aligned for you, what makes you feel more like yourself rather than like a carbon copy or an, a literal offspring of someone else and other people. Yeah. How does somebody see those things? So I, I think this is one of those things that's in an area of life that we don't even see, mm -hmm. that maybe people observing us see these things about us. Maybe people with vast, you know, more experience or more knowledge of this sort of space understand and can educate us. But I think that for a lot of people, they, they don't even see these things about themselves. And how do they increase their awareness? How do they learn? So this is why I got so deeply into the embodiment, right? And a, another one of the principles that I talk about a lot is you need to spend time getting out of your head and into your body because your head is where all the programming and conditioning lives. Mm -hmm. The body is where the truth lives. And one of the things I also talk about with this is the difference between judgment and discernment. You know, a lot of personal development and spiritual things will teach you to try not to be judgmental. And the thing is judgment, the reason why is because judgment is constantly evaluating things. It's placing value. This is good. That's bad. That's better. That's worse. And it's so much of it is like subjective things. Again, like we all get to have preferences, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily right or wrong. So discernment just says, yes, that's for me or no, it's not. And your body will tell you that. Mm -hmm. Everyone has signals, intuition, instincts, feelings in their body. Everyone's had an experience of walking into a room and getting a funky feeling and being like, ooh, what's going on in here? Right. Discernment is, do you listen to that or do you not? And hmm. the body's wisdom, then you'll start looking around and the mind will start being like, oh, well, maybe it's that or maybe it's this or maybe it's this, which takes a lot of energy. Yes. But when you're connected to your body and you're letting that guide you first and then making your choices, okay, well, you know, this isn't for me, then you can evaluate or whatever later. But to just include the body's wisdom mm -hmm. is a big piece rather than just using your mind, your mental, your mindset, what you think you know. Because the other thing is the brain. Like if you ever geek out on neuroscience, we are only using such a small fraction of our brains. Like we have awareness, unconscious awareness of so many things. So part of these practices as well, part of what I do is helping people to kind of tap into so that they could be sensing like they could just be using more of their senses to glean information than just logic and rationale to be processing things. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to add is I, I remember actually my first introduction to these in some management training. I think we did the DISC assessment, but another thing that could really help people discover who they really are, all these types of personality assessments, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, DISC, I personally am always drawn towards more esoteric things. So things like astrology, human design, 
anything that's going to give us little clues about who we are and how we're built. Because we're all built so differently. And not only does it give us the insight of who we are and how we're built, it is, reminds us how different we are from everybody else. So when we get kind of stubborn and stuck in those needs to be right about this is the way it should be, or I do it this way and this is better, it just gives us a lot of compassion and space to allow other people to have their own experiences when we can remember like, oh, I'm built very uniquely from you. I might see things this way. You might see it. It helps us to want to listen. Also helps us to see our deficiency. Strengths finders, that's good. And you know, even as a manager, or if anyone listening to this is a manager, management trainee, or something like that, some of us are really good at some things and really crappy at other things. And instead of trying to get good at the things we're not great at, we really just need to get the support. Someone out there absolutely rocks at the thing that we are so bad at. Right. And it's, it's so much better to fill in that puzzle piece rather than to keep trying to be good at something that you're just not going to be. Yes, that's so true. We literally just had Jeff Hoffman on a, a region. He's a, one of the most amazing entrepreneurs and philanthropists that I've ever met in the world. And he said this exact same thing. It's like, you got to know what you're good at. You got to know what yeah. your strengths are and you got to do more of what you're good at. And you got to yes. learn to delegate or outsource the things you aren't good at. And I mm-hmm. certainly feel like that's a key principle. You said something, uh, Elizabeth, about learning who we are and how we're built. Mm-hmm learning who we are and how we're built. I would love if you could unpack that a little bit more. Like yeah. wh- where does that come from? Okay. So I'll give you an example. Uh, and so again, this you'll see where like my geekery comes from. My Myers-Briggs, if you, people are familiar with that, I'm an ENFJ. So I'm extroverted, intuitive, feeling person. And the last letter of the J is for judging. I do like structure and organization, right? Like I'm going to be a person, I'm going to be on time. Even in Los Angeles, I'm like the only person that's ever on time for anything in Los Angeles. In astrology, I'm a Virgo sun, Capricorn moon, Gemini rising. That might not mean anything to other people, but to people who get astrology will be like, oh yes, this person loves and is excellent at communication, loves structure and order, hard worker, loves progress, super disciplined when it comes to things that I'm passionate about, could not care less when it comes to things that I'm not, right? Right. There's this other system called human design. I'm what's called a manifesting generator. That means not only do I have the energy to like create the things that I want to create, but I'm literally going to go out there and do it. Mm -hmm. One of the things I've mentored people, entrepreneurs for many years now too, that I always remind people, and we see this, I've thought about this for management training. So often in management training, before people like get into their own office and are running their own things, you would see them literally just being like a parrot of their manager. Even like, I remember seeing people like run interviews and using the same like hand gestures, voice inflection as their manager. Cause they're just, they're mimicking and that's a right. step in learning. Right. Right. But then when you come into your own, you're like, okay, this is actually how I want to say that. Or this is how I move my body, how I stand in space, how I express myself. So, you know, I always would remind people who would come to me for mentoring, you know, let's look up your human design. Let's see how you're built because you might not have my level of like energy and ability to like do so like my capacity is immense. Not everyone has that capacity. And, but I'm like a doer. Some people are more magnetic. Like I have friends who just, I don't know how they do it. They just get all these referrals. They barely even have a website and their client roster is always full, you know? So like those are, I'm just giving you some examples and putting them in context Mm -hmm. of like these little personality things. I don't live and die by these things, but it's just nice to know, oh, that is like inherent to who I am. Right. It's like, good communicator. Like there are some things it's, it's nature versus nurture, right? Of course, there are things that we're naturally good at and naturally inclined towards. Of course we can train in anything, 
Another good context for this. Have you ever read or heard of the book, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks? No, I have not. This is an amazing book that I think vector people would actually love because he talks about these four zones, the zone of incompetence, the zone of competence, the zone of excellence, and the zone of genius. And the zone of genius is when you're literally in that place of doing what you're like built for, meant for, comes easily to you, and you love it. Right. And a lot of people get stuck in the zone of excellence because they have trained and because they're so good at some things because they've learned to be. And they never touch the genius because they're stuck in the excellence. Mm. So this is what I mean, you know, like, are you introvert or you extrovert? Like, do you, is it hard for you? Like, I would imagine I'm obviously very extroverted, but I need a lot of downtime. Like if I am going to be in like a big group of people, I then need to go be on my own for quite a while. Right. I like both. You know, some people are mixed. They call it ambivert, but these types of things, learn about yourself, see what resonates for you, see what really does it right? Like resonance and dissonance are kind of two really good cues for you as well. Like if there's ever some people that you just don't like, you can't put your finger on it. You can't explain it. You don't need to. (laughs) Exactly. But you can notice patterns too. Huh? It's this certain type of thing in a person. What is that? Ah, arrogance, entitlement, you know, know, whatever is the quality. And you could just accept. and, And this is what it all comes to. Then you could just accept these things about yourself. Instead yes. of fighting them. Yes. That's a strong insight to wrap that part up there about accepting these things about yourself. And it, it seems like from, you know, the things that I've uh, read about you and heard about you that teaching people to accept certain elements of themselves is sort of one of the core principles of what you're yeah. trying to get people to do. It just frees people. People spend so much of their lives trying to be something that they're not. Mm-hmm. In so many ways, you know, even for me as a fitness person, when I turned 30, that's when I moved out to the West Coast. And that's when I decided definitively to leave the fitness industry and to pursue what I'm doing now. And it was also, you know, there's just like biology here, like being a woman, you turn 30, hormones, things like this. My body changed, you know, like that super like fit, spunky personal trainer, like that I'd really identified with that for a while, you know, I gained some weight, like I got curvy or like, I was like, oh, this is this is different. We identify, we really hitch ourselves to these things we've identified with. But then when something changes, if we're not accepting like the deeper aspects of ourselves, if we're only accepting or identifying with or valuing ourselves on the superficial things that could be taken away in any moment, we're all in a lot of danger. Because again, there's so Mm -hmm. many things out there that we can't control. So, you know, learning to value like your whole self, part of the acceptance is also the pursuit of wholeness, like integrating and meeting all the different parts of yourselves, including the parts that you're really not proud of. Mm-hmm. Like those are there, they're valid. You know, one of the first deeper, more like spiritual personal development books I ever read was called The Dark Side of the Light Chasers by a woman named Debbie Ford. And that was, that was exploring your shadow self, meeting the parts of you that you're like, Ooh, I mean, I got a raging bitch inside of me that I know how to manage her, you know? She's good to keep my back pocket. Every once in a while, she protects me and keeps me safe. She doesn't need to be out running the show. Exactly. Yeah. It's so interesting to listen to you describe these things and to try to comprehend the level of awareness that you've developed about your own self. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know that everybody has that. I think, in fact, most people don't. Yeah. Have that awareness, you know? What are one or two of the key resources you would recommend for people to be able to develop this sort mm-hmm. of awareness? You mentioned the human design 
Mm-hmm. Right. How do people study that? You literally, you can go to the website I like the best is Jovian Archive, J O V I A N archive.com. And this mm-hmm. one's a little esoteric. It gives you a chart uh, and it's based on like your date and time of birth and things like that. I know some people might be like judgy about things like that, but if you just punch it in and do a little reading about it, and then there's like a million YouTube videos and stuff about it, it's a very complex system. The three things that I recommend people check out your type, your profile, and your authority. So everyone has the way your intuition works. There's a couple different ways it works for different people. So for example, one of the things I learned about myself is I have have what's called emotional authority. My life revolves around how I feel, Mm -hmm. which is wildly inconvenient sometimes. Right. (laughs) So I need to ride the waves of my emotions and wait till I get back to like a neutral place before I make choices. Yes. Whereas some people, their initial, like their initial instinct, their initial hit is always true. For me, it just points me in the direction of what I need to go feel into, right? So that's an example. Oh, now I know this about myself and I can track it. Like I can, it takes time. One of the reasons why people won't do things like this or go so deep into work like this, because it takes time. Yes. But the thing is the time that it takes up front saves you so much more time in the long run from agreeing to things, making decisions, getting into relationships and doing all kinds of things that aren't actually aligned for you because they were based on your conditioning, not who you actually are. Right. I I also think that people give meaning to some of these things they find out about themselves and the meaning they give is, well, that's bad. Yep. Like you just said, for example, my life revolves around how I feel. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we could all acknowledge that if we all did everything exactly by how we felt in every single moment, we would probably get ourselves into a lot of trouble in a lot of spots, right? (laughs) And so the end result of that is something that one has to manage because it could be bad. But the fact that that's how you view who you are is not bad in and of itself. And I think a lot of people realize things about themselves and go, oh, I suck because of this, or I'm bad, or I'm less capable, right, because of this, or I'm less desirable because of this, or anything negative that they impose upon their own self because of some element of who they are. And yet, you know, as you've inferred today, you know, people are perfect as they are. They just have to learn to adapt who they are in different situations and, you know, be able to better manage who they are. And that's all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like if someone has a temper, okay. Like anger is not bad. People think anger is bad. Anger is filled with all kinds of information. Anger is showing you what you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. Right. So you just need to learn how to manage the anger so that you're not just blowing up a time right. when it's not useful right? and not stuffing it and then making yourself sick because emotions have energy and that stuff does build up in the body and does make people sick. Yeah. Well, that was a good point you just made that anger shows what you're passionate about. Like that's again, choosing an empowering way of viewing a part of one's innate personality. A lot of people will say, well, I'm Italian. So of course I'm going to, you know, be loud and boisterous or, you know, I'm Irish. That's why I get angry. Right. And like, and they just attribute it to being something that has to be negative and it doesn't have to be negative. We all have different traits. We all have different qualities. It all creates who we are. And, you know, it, there's nothing in and of itself that is inherently bad. If we learn how to, how to recognize it and how to, you know, adapt our own selves to it. And I mean, and you asked about awareness, I would say the two biggest things are uh, curiosity and then observation. Like non-judgmental observation, just going, mm-hmm. oh, huh, I get really pissed off every single time I see this type of story on the news. That shows me I really care about this issue. Maybe I want to go join some community, get involved in some activism, 
get, maybe that's where I want to give my money. Maybe that's where I want to vote with my dollars, you know, Hmm. or Oh my God, this thing brings me so much joy. I need to do more of that. I got back into salsa dancing last year and I would just go two or three nights a week. Brings me so much joy. Yeah. So it's like, cool. That's the thing I need in my life. I need this kind of movement, this kind of joy where I get to go. And part of it, this was a self-observation. I run a business. I'm in charge of so many decisions, so many things in my life. As a female dancer, when I go, I'm not in charge. I get to be led. I get to just surrender. Somebody else is in charge. I get to just go have fun. I don't Mm. have to make any of the choices. I just get to follow. Mm -hmm. That's cool. That's cool. I appreciate hearing that. I want to circle this back a little bit to cut going vector audience, particularly to the, all the young women that we're trying to develop in the Cutco vector world and, and just give you an opportunity. If there's any other advice that you feel like you would want to share or insight you'd want to share with, uh, with that group before we adjourn. Yeah. I don't know what it's like now. We still live in a very patriarchal kind of world. Right. And that's like, you know, all these things that go with patriarchy, dominant culture, misogyny, these things, that's not indicative of how all men are. It's indicative of the the supremacy and the right. culture, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to engage with it. You don't have to let people talk to you or treat you or any which way. I'll tell you a funny story. When I was a rep, um, my dad was the coach of the golf team at my high school. And this man, one of the dads is standing around talking about this like hot little rep that had come to his house. And he would have bought anything that she put down on the table. At a certain point in the conversation, my dad realized that this man was talking about me. <clears throat> my dad comes home and he's like, what are you wearing to these appointments? I'm like, that is the wrong question to be asking. Mm. It's not on me. It's on this sleazeball right. sitting at his kitchen table with his wife talking about this hot little cot. Like, that is not on me. You know what I mean? So. Again, I just want to reiterate for women in any kind of environment where there's like success or achievement. And I also remember as I was like on my way up in management training and things like this, I had a very, I always had a very high show rate to my interviews and show rate to my training. And I remember people saying to me, it's because you're hot. Mm. And it's like, you have any idea how hard I worked to get here, to be here, to do this, how good I am at this? So I just want to remind, especially women, and then the men listening, stop allowing anyone to diminish you down to that anything is because of how you look Mm -hmm. or that you're not getting the result because of how you look, right? There's literally so much more to you, so much more. And you don't like, you just don't even have to engage with that. You know what I mean? Yes. And so it's worth it. Like all these things we've been talking about, to do the self-inquiry, to do the self-discovery, to learn who you really are, like the deepest part of your core, where your power actually comes from, your internal power, your inner authority. Because all this, you know, the thing I said in the beginning about like recognition being such a great thing, that could also become addictive. Then you're basing your own worth all the time on external validation or awards or accomplishments or accolades right? You also need to balance that out with satisfaction of just like the pleasure of your own existence and being who you are. Yeah, exactly. Amen. You know, as you were sharing some of those things, it really like causes me as a, you know, male, you know, who's been a leader for many years to do some serious introspection and to ponder like, you know, when have I put my foot in my mouth? Yeah. When have I made mistakes in judgment? 
mm-hmm. right? And like, that's a hard thing for someone like me to come to terms with. But I think it's important to to have those thoughts and to, and to consider that. And if I were saying anything to the women, you know, that uh, are part of my audience to, you know, maybe in, in many cases, you know, work directly with me in my region, I would say, I would say, thank you for putting up with me from time to time. Thank you for the, you know, the, the times where maybe I haven't handled things exactly the way I should have, or exactly the way you would have wanted me to, but I'm an evolving being as well. And I'm learning as well. And I just appreciate being able to hear the perspective from someone like you, Elizabeth, because I think it's a, it's all a part of how we all evolve as, as humans is to hear other people's perspectives. And, you know, I wanted you to be on the podcast because you you would be somebody who is different than a lot of the other guests that I've had in in a lot of ways and that uh, could bring a different flavor to, to the conversation. And I think that's exactly what we've been able to have here today. So thanks, I appreciate it. Let me just ask you in wrapping up, what are you most excited about for the future? Oh my gosh. So I don't know when this is going live, but at the time that we're recording, I'm about uh, 10 days out from the grand opening of my online movement studio. So I've been, Wild Soul Movement is like a healing movement practice, but I've also developed these Wild Soul Sweat Workouts, which is I'm bringing fitness back into the fold on my own terms. So this is, I'm literally talking about this, like these are workouts for people who don't give a shit about losing weight. They just love exercise. They want to move. They want to have fun. They want to do it in like a feminine way, not these like regimented, super masculine workouts that so many of us are used to. And then I also teach these erotic movement classes. I do these bodywork classes with um, yoga tune-up balls for myofascial release. I teach meditation. So there's basically, I live stream like 10 classes a week, literally here from my living room. That's phase one. I've been certifying teachers in Wild Soul Movement for many years now. And so in the fall, I'm going to bring in some of my teachers to teach in the online studio. And then, you know, eventually when the world starts opening back up again, I might open a physical location somewhere. But um, I'm super excited to just have this access because I literally, from having the podcast for some years, I have women all over the world. Like I could be doing a session in my living room and there's women from all over the US, Canada, someone's in India, someone's in Belgium. Like it just is so amazing to me, the technology and the connection that's available. So I'm very excited about the Embodied Movement Studio. That's awesome. And how do people follow you if they, if they want to follow you? Instagram is uh, my social media where I spend the most time. So that's just at Elizabeth Dialto. And then the website is untameyourself.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much for sharing your ideas, thoughts, stories uh, on the podcast. I really appreciate your time and, and your wisdom. I love this. Thanks, Dan. Fantastic. That was Elizabeth D'Alto. What a wide-ranging conversation with some really, really powerful insights. I love hearing her describe how she learned in Vector about the concept of recognition and acknowledgement. And I, I do really think a core element of our success in relationships and in connecting with others is simply based on how we make people feel. And how we make people feel has a lot more uh, to do than just like, you know, the things that we say, but it's also a lot of other elements of, you know, how we interact with other people. And so learning to be great at recognizing, acknowledging, making people feel good, not just through what we say, but through our physiology as well, making people feel comfortable and accepted. So many good nuggets could come out of pondering that one. She also talked about how Vector provided her with an opportunity for personal expression, which I think is a great thing about 
what we do in our company as well, is that we are a place where people can be who they are and can fit in. There is an opportunity for you to fit in here, uh, regardless of who you are. And that's something that's important is we want people to be expressing themselves. Pretty uh, powerful phrase she used, which is what is for you cannot pass by you. And being able to view the things that occur from the lens of how is this happening for me and not happening to me. That's a pretty compelling insight that we can ponder, particularly as you think about the challenges happening right now. Right. And the reality is that everything that is not really sustainable in our lives is going to fall apart here during this pandemic crisis that we're in. And it's uh, uncovering the things that are sustainable that can be long term activities, long term values in our lives. And so those things are being revealed right now in a way that's powerful and insightful. Elizabeth talked about learning who we are and how we're built. She used the words curiosity and observation right? Curiosity. Hmm. I wonder why I'm feeling this way right now. Why does that set me off? Why does that seem like it makes me angry? And learning from that is the first step to be able, being able to manage our emotions, right? And observation is what helps increase our awareness. It's so important that we, you know, are continually learning and evolving, right? Learning from our experiences. A lot of people don't do that. They just stay the same all the time. And then uh, Elizabeth talked about the zone of excellence versus the zone of genius. Are you spending your time in your genius zone or are you spending your time just doing something you're really good at because you're good at it and you're making money and you're succeeding, but you're not in your genius zone? That was compelling to ponder as well. Lots of other great stuff in there. I hope you guys got a lot of great ideas out of this. Give us your feedback. Go to changinglivespodcast.com. Look for Elizabeth D'Alto's episode. Click on it. Scroll down. There's room for feedback you can put on our website. Or, of course, you can contact me on social media. You can contact Elizabeth on social media as well. Uh, We appreciate your support of the podcast. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.